Welcome back to Cross Trek World Ministries podcast entitled Trek Online Bible School with Brad Hunt. I am currently in the book of Romans and we just completed uh, the ninth chapter and are going to head into chapter 10. Uh, as you know, uh, the scriptures were not originally written with uh, chapter headings or breaks. They were one long document. Uh, we would call them a letter or an epistle is uh, the way they're referred to. So coming into chapter 10, it's really a continuation of what was uh, what Paul was talking about in chapter 9. So uh, before I forget, I want to pause and have a word of prayer, and the Lord will guide us. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your word, which is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Uh, give us insight. Give us revelation. Help us understand uh, what your plan is and how we are part of it. We pray for the nation of Israel. We pray for every person who is descended genetically from Abraham. We pray that they might be saved. And Lord, we also pray for our loved ones, uh, all the Gentiles who are hearing the gospel, that they will receive you as well. And maybe even through this podcast, they would find faith. And so we trust you to guide us today, and we pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. So Paul concluded the ninth chapter by talking about uh, Gentiles having attained righteousness and Israel not having attained it, even though they had pursued it for thousands of years. Uh, because God gave his law to the Israelites in the wilderness. He gave it to them at Mount Sinai when they were brought out of Egypt. And Moses said, uh, whoever keeps these commands will find life in them. And I believe that means we'll find eternal life. We'll find, uh, you know, we'll reach the culmination of eternity with me forever. You will be declared righteous in my sight. And so they saw the law as the means by which they could achieve right standing with God. And so they taught it to their children, who taught it to their children, and on down uh, the years, they taught it to uh, each of their family members. And the goal was always to keep the law uh, and to uh, zealously pursue. Uh, you know, this right standing with God by keeping his law. And so they worked hard at obeying it. Obviously, uh, not all of them, but uh, many of them did. And it, it became ingrained into their society. And you'll, you'll still find uh, law keepers 
in Israel today. Uh, you'll find it in many of their um, daily practices, but uh, we're not going to go into that right now. Uh, so Israel has been trying to achieve right standing with God through keeping his law. And God's intent for his law, we are now finding, was to lead them to the realization that they needed a Savior. And of course, Jesus is that Savior. And he came to them, and he declared the gospel to them, the good news that he had come to save them. He was their Messiah. He came to save them from their sins. And for whatever reason, either he wasn't what they were expecting, or perhaps it was simply uh, God's way of sifting out the, the true Israelites from the false Israelites, but God laid that stone in Zion, that stumbling stone, who is Jesus, and whoever put faith in him would, not, would never be ashamed, but there were so many people, uh, Jews, who stumbled over him. They just could not accept what he was preaching. So their unbelief was actually intentional. They chose to un, they chose to not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they suffered spiritual blindness as a judgment. And we're going to find out in uh, not this chapter, but uh, one of the following chapters that they have experienced blindness in part until the. Uh, total number of Gentiles has come into the family of God, into the kingdom of God, because the Lord is dealing with the Gentile world now, and he has taken his gospel to the Gentile world, and we have become the church. Uh, the church does have uh, Jews in it, but by and large, the church is Gentile. So anyway, uh, we come to the end of chapter 9, and um, and God says, I laid that uh, that stone of stumbling and rock of offense in Zion. And uh, there are those who stumbled over him and those who put faith in him. And then he begins chapter 10 by kind of reiterating what he said at the very beginning of chapter 9, and that is his heart cry for his people. In, in, in chapter 9, he said, I could almost wish that I myself would be accursed uh, and sent to damnation if my people would be saved as a result of it. But of course, God doesn't do that because that's not righteous. Um, and uh, in, in chapter 10, uh, it starts by saying, by Paul saying, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, for them, is that they may be saved. See, now this word is used in the church and has been ever since uh, I can remember. And that is our, you know, the question that is asked to some people is, are you saved? And, and some people might say saved save from what? And this is what we need to communicate to the world around us, that there is a dire uh, problem that mankind faces that he needs to be saved from, and that is we are all destined for death 
an eternal separation from God, eternal punishment because we don't belong to God, and it's, it's all our own doing, and, uh, and God has given us the solution through Jesus Christ. He said, you can be saved from this eternity of punishment. You can be saved from that. In fact, God never intended man to be cast into the lake of fire. That was created for Satan and his angels, those who rebelled against God with him. But because man was led astray by Satan, uh, many people still believe Satan's lies, and therefore, uh, if they won't receive the love of the truth, as the scripture puts it, they, they won't receive what God tells them is the answer to their sin problem, then they will end up suffering the same fate that Satan and his angels uh, are going to suffer. So when the Bible says uh, that, uh, for instance here, Paul saying, oh, my heart cry for my people, for my fellow Israelites, is that they might be saved, that's what he's talking about. He doesn't want any one of them to suffer an eternal uh, separation from God and be tormented forever. Uh, and I'm reminded, of course, of the story that Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man was tormented because he did not do what was right before God. He didn't, uh, you know, put faith in God and his, his behavior and attitude toward Lazarus, the poor man at his gate, um, was not what God would expect from his own children. And so when, when they both died, um, Lazarus was comforted, and uh, this man, the rich man, was in torment. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because uh, he asked, the rich man asked Abraham, who was holding Lazarus in his arms, in this story that Jesus is telling. The rich man in torment said, uh, Father Abraham, would you please uh, allow Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and to come where I am and touch my tongue so I can have just a moment's peace um, because he, he was so dry and thirsty and hot uh, that he was in torment. And of course, um, uh, Abraham said, uh, we cannot reach you because uh, there's a gulf fixed between us that, you know, that's just the way God set it up. Uh, but anyway, then he said, would you at least send Lazarus to my family so that they could hear about this place and not come here? And uh, this is what Paul is feeling. He's feeling this love for his people and does not want them to suffer what he knows is the fate of those who refuse to believe in Christ. And, uh, and so he's, his heart's desire is that they could be saved. Because he says in verse 2, I bear them witness they have a zeal for God. Isn't that interesting? That a person could have a zeal for God and still be without Christ. That's amazing. 
There are some people who say they believe in God, they try and do what they consider to be right, but if they have never trusted Christ for the salvation that he offers, uh, they are simply uh, good citizens with a zeal that seems uh, righteous, but that's not what saves them. And Paul says, I bear witness of my people. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. In other words, they're ignorant. They don't accept the truth. Verse 3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And that is actually very telling Once again, Jesus came to them, preached the kingdom, preached the gospel. John 3.16 is one of the most famous verses in the New Testament where Jesus himself said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to die on behalf of all mankind, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Okay? See, even though we may suffer death and our, our, our spirit separate from our body, that is not the ultimate death that Scripture talks about. That is simply the separation of the soul from the body. That's actually what the Bible calls the first death. It's the second death that we don't want any part of. The second death is where the soul is separated from God, or the spirit is separated from God for all eternity. And the the destination of those spirits and souls is going to be in the lake of fire. That's the second death. And so when Jesus said, uh, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That's what he means. They won't perish and be separated from, from God for eternity. They should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's what God offers this world. He offers them everlasting life if they'll put faith in Jesus Christ. And, uh, and sadly, the nation of, of Israel, their leaders, rejected Jesus when he came to them. So anyway, uh, they're ignorant of God's uh, righteousness or the righteousness that he offered them, and they continually seek to establish their own righteousness. They're trying to achieve righteousness. In a way, there is pride involved in that. Uh, you know, because if we can say that, you know, we're, we're a good upstanding citizen, we would do anything for our neighbor, we'd give them the shirt off our back and so on and so forth. Uh, that sounds wonderful, but our motives could be selfishly inclined so that we are really just trying to pat ourselves on the back. Um, and Paul, you know, in, in dealing with this passion that the Jews have to achieve the ultimate righteousness through the law, Paul says in verse 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So basically what the Jews are pursuing, Jesus has already accomplished. He met all the requirements of the law, 
and he died for us, rose again for us, and now God says, you put faith in him, and I will consider you righteous. That's what God said, and Israel refused to accept that. They're continuing, uh, most of them, are continuing to try and achieve righteousness through the law. Uh, Paul goes on to describe the difference between the righteousness gained through the law or the righteousness based on faith by talking about Moses and something he said to the Israelites in the wilderness. We start in verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Okay, so someone says, all right, well, you know, I'll do my best, and, you know, God will have to, um, you know, give me a pass when I, when, I, when I flub up. But I mean, that's, that's the thing about God is he's, he's willing to, to uh, forgive. And, and, and of course, God is willing to forgive, but he can't forgive if people don't receive Christ. Because Jesus paid it all. That's a song that we sang growing up in church. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Uh, Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You see, there are some people who think that if they do their best and try and be a good person, that there's no way that God could forbid them entry into eternity with him. And they don't understand sin. God, and nor do they understand God's perfection and holiness. Because God is perfectly holy and just, he cannot be around even a hint of sin. There's no darkness in him, the Bible says. He is light. There's no darkness in him. He can't be around the slightest sin. The only way that people can be forgiven and uh, continually protected from sin, or I should say free from sin, is by receiving Christ as their Savior. Then their sins are taken away, and then they can stand before God in Christ's righteousness, not in their own. But there are some people who still are trying to establish their own apart from accepting Jesus. I don't know why that is. I have to assume it's, it's a deception by Satan. But the Jews, uh, you know, were given the law at Mount Sinai, and they, you know, as a race, were taught about the law, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years. But it's interesting that in the New Testament, uh, Peter, who is a Jew, said uh, about Gentiles who are coming to Christ— and, and there were Jews who believed that the Gentiles coming to Christ needed to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Peter said, look, why would we put on them a burden that neither we nor our ancestors could bear? So they knew that trying to keep the law was too hard for them. They couldn't do it. And yet they still tried because most people who are determined to do their best, uh, you know, don't give up. They keep trying. And, and that's a wonderful character quality 
in some cases, but it will never achieve righteousness for us. Moses wrote about the righteousness based on law. The person who does the commandments shall live by them. We're not talking about kind of keeps them pretty well. We're talking about never misses once. And you say, how can that even be possible? Why would God expect that? Because the purpose of his law was not to bring men to righteousness. The purpose of his law, we find in the New Testament, was actually to expose the sin in our lives. Because when there is no law that says you shall not do this, we don't have any struggle because then we all do what we want with a clear conscience because we may not know that God does not accept certain behavior. But when he inserts his law, which, you know, his, his rules, which say you, you shall not do this, you shall not do this, you shall not do this, the Apostle Paul said, hey, when, when the law told me I shall not covet, all of a sudden I had all these desires to covet. And, and that's because sin lives in our bodies. And people without law don't know that until someone says, you shall not do this. And that's when their, their ire gets uh, stirred up and they get angry. So if they were going to achieve righteousness by keeping the, the commandments of the law, they had to do it perfectly. And they couldn't do it. Nobody could except Jesus. So Paul is pointing out, this is the righteousness that's based on law, which, by the way, nobody can achieve. But they were still trying. Verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith says this. And this is where Paul alludes back to something that Moses said to the Israelites in the wilderness. It's recorded in Deuteronomy. And uh, he's, you know, he basically gave them God's law. And uh, he said, look, in essence, he said, this law is not too difficult for you to understand. It's not up in heaven, so you have to have someone go up there and get it and bring it down and explain it to you. It's not beyond the sea where someone has to go and get it and bring it back to you uh, and explain it to you so that you can do it. No, the word that the message that God is giving you, I'm giving you right now. It's right in your own mouth because I've just taught you. He says, it's in your mouth. It's on your tongue. You know it. It's near you. It's not too hard for you. So that's what Moses told them in the wilderness. So Paul is using that point to make a point here. The righteousness based on faith, verse 6, says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That's what Moses said to them about the message he was giving them. Who will ascend into heaven? And Paul says, in this case, to bring Christ down to us. In other words, is Christ up in heaven where we can't see him or hear him? Uh, there's no way we can, you know, believe in him if he's not near us. He's If he's up in heaven, how can we how can we hear him and believe in him? And, uh, and uh, Paul says, 
the righteousness of faith says, don't say that in your heart, okay? Or don't say this, who will descend into the, the abyss to bring Christ up from the dead because Jesus Christ is no longer in the grave. He is risen. What does the righteousness of faith say? Verse 8, it says the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. And he says, parenthetically, he says, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. So basically, they, there was actually one person that Jesus healed who said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And this individual said to him, where is he, Lord, so that I can believe in him? And Jesus said, he stands before you right here. And then that man bowed and, and worshiped him. See, no one has to say, well, where is this Jesus? What message did he say? He gave us his gospel. He gave us the way to achieve righteousness through trusting in him. That's the gospel we preach. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. All you have to do is put is believe that Jesus is real, that God is real, that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose from the grave and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, uh, making intercession for us. He is our Savior. All you've got to do is believe that enough in your heart that you that you're uh, willing to confess it from your mouth with confidence that Jesus is Lord, and you'll be saved. That's all it takes is that kind of faith. Okay? So, let's continue on here in verse 8. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. Practically, you know, almost it used to be. When I was a kid, most everyone in America had heard the gospel. There were great crusades that were preached or outdoor festivals that were preached by Billy Graham and, and others uh, teaching the gospel to Americans. Sadly, nowadays, there are some people that honestly don't know about Jesus and don't know the gospel, and that is a, a very sad state of affairs. But thank God he sends out servants into his harvest field and we, we just continue to pray that God would send forth servants into his harvest field because people need to hear this good news that they can be right with God through faith. And it doesn't depend on their behavior. God is looking for them to put faith in him. And, and here, verse 9, I, just, I told you about this. Paul says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And, and that's sadly what some people refuse to believe. They refuse to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Even though the Bible says there were hundreds of witnesses that saw him alive after they saw him die on that cross. The Bible says he appeared to over 500 people at one time after his resurrection. There are eyewitnesses, the 12 eyewitnesses called the apostles went out and said, we saw him. 
They saw him die on the cross. They saw him, they saw that he was placed in a tomb with a huge stone rolled over the mouth of the cave, the mouth of the tomb. And they saw him resurrected because he appeared in a room where they had locked the doors and he even ate some of their fish to prove that he was not some ghost or spirit. In fact, he even showed them the the nail marks in his hands and feet, and he also showed them the the spear wound in his side where the Roman soldier thrust the spear into his side. He showed all these things to the apostles, and they they testified to their dying day that they saw him. In fact, they all gave their lives as martyrs because of their testimony. They believed. They saw him. They told everyone. And then, of course, there were 500 others that Jesus appeared to. Uh, They knew that he was living. And so what we preach has been verified by eyewitnesses. And uh, if people refuse to believe it, sadly, their blood is on their own heads. So, verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified. You see, people can say, I believe in God, but if they don't live like him, first of all, they don't really believe in him because you don't, you don't really believe in someone that you don't emulate. And that's the way it is in the kingdom of God also. If I believe in God, then I'm going to emulate him because, number one, he changes my heart. He makes me a new person. We call it being born again. And uh, we are brand new. And our heart's desire is to worship him, to please him, to live like him. In fact, we willingly surrender our lives to him because he tasted death for all men. Jesus did what we couldn't do. He suffered, bled, and died with all of our sin upon him. And we are, we can be considered righteous because of what he did on our behalf. So with our heart, we believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. With our mouth, we confess that Jesus is Lord. And on the basis of that uh, expression of faith, God saves us. Verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, there are a lot of people who mock Christians. There are a lot of people who treat us hatefully. In fact, it's actually increasing in America. It's becoming very blatant in media and in public gatherings. There's a very little respect for people preaching the gospel. And, uh, but that's just the way the world is going to continue to be because Jesus told us that. He said, the world will hate you because of me. And then he said, but whoever endures to the end will be saved. So there's going to be a need to endure these things because Jesus told us they would hate us because we belong to him. Uh, Verse 12, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. So it doesn't matter whether we're Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter 
what our upbringing is. Um, if we put faith in Jesus Christ, we will be saved. For, verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on his name today. Say, Jesus, I need to be saved. I am a sinner. Save me from my sin. And he will. He will. Verse 14, how then will they, and he's talking about the Jews here, of course, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And you'd have to say, well, that makes sense. I mean, if if they haven't believed in someone, they're not going to call on him. But then he goes on, and how are they to believe in whom, in him of whom they have not heard? Well, if they haven't heard about Jesus, then it's pretty tough to put faith in him. But he continues and says, and how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? And we'd say, well, absolutely. And then he says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? And all of these things uh, make sense. That's right. And then Paul points out that the Old Testament scriptures, which is the law that they put faith in, he said, the law says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So the law states that there have been preachers of the good news that have gone out. And that means they've come to the Jews as well. So in other words, the Jews had heard the good news. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. And that's, I, I used to think of that as, a, as an interesting way of stating, you know, a response to the gospel, because I would have said they have not all believed the gospel. But you know what? The truth is, if you believe, you will obey. If you don't believe, you won't obey. And it's not just what we say, it's what we do. So if someone says, I believe in Jesus Christ, but does not obey him, they don't truly believe in him. Okay? That's, that was Judas's problem. Judas was part of the ministry of, of the Lord's group. Judas was... Uh, he actually, you know, he proved who he was by the scripture pointing out that he used to steal from the money that was given to Jesus and his group of disciples to support them. Judas used to steal from that. So that proves right there where his heart was and what kind of character he had. But anyway, uh, Paul says, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what has, you know, what they've heard from us. Isaiah was preaching God's message to the Jews, and and clearly many of them weren't even listening to him. And he said, Lord, who has believed what we have said to them? And Paul points out what this is proving, that faith only comes to those, or only comes from those who listen. They're all, I mean, anyone who has children know that a child can hear your words and not hear what you're saying. They can hear you telling them to do a certain thing, 
But if they don't do anything about it, they have not listened. They may have heard what you said, but they only listen if they do it. Same thing with us and God. We can hear what he says, but it's not the it's not hearing the message, it's listening to it and acting upon it that proves we are listening to it. So faith comes from hearing or listening and listening through the word of Christ. So we need to listen to the word of Christ and act on that. Then he goes on in verse 18, but I ask, Paul says, have they not heard? Okay. So the first thing he said was, well, you know, I mean, they're not going to believe in one of whom they have not heard, and, and they're not going to hear unless someone's preaching, and they're not going to preach unless someone is sent. So, you know, has anyone brought the message? And he says, yeah, they have, because this is what the, the Old Testament law says. How blessed are the feet of those who preach good news. He says, so yeah, there have been people preaching good news. And then he says, uh, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, who has believed our report? Faith comes from hearing, comes from listening, and listening through the word of Christ. Verse 18, but I ask, have they not heard? You know, because someone might say, well, I never heard that. Paul says, indeed, they have. And he, he quotes again from their law. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. This is showing how God's word is valid as a pattern. And what this is talking about is that God's message went out to all the earth and their words or the, the preachers of those words to the ends of the world. And just as all of God's messages that have been given over the years have gone out to the whole earth, somehow God got it out there to all the people and their words to the ends of the world. So his own law that the Jews were putting faith in says that their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So, so God's message at this point through Christ had gone out, and it had come to them. Verse 19, but I asked, did Israel not understand? So, so that's a valid question. Well, did Israel not understand the message that God sent them, the gospel? And then he brings up what Moses says. Moses told them in the wilderness, he said, I will make you, and this is what God told him to tell them, I will make you jealous by those who are not a nation. Well, what in the world does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means that God is interacting with non-Jews in such a way that the Jews recognize that these Gentiles are connecting with him, and that is going to make them jealous because God started off by calling Israel the apple of his eye, his firstborn son. They were his kingdom of priests. They were given all of his benefits. They were given all of his privileges. They were the ones that were going to bring his good news to the earth and now God is 
reaching out to non-Jews and having a relationship with them, and, and Jews are seeing that, and they're going to get jealous that God is not simply their God. He is making a nation out of others who are not Jews. So the second part of this, uh, of this statement from the law, with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. You see, the Jews would look at the Gentiles as unlearned. Some of them they called barbarians. They would be considered ignorant of righteousness, ignorant of godly worship, ignorant of the ways of God. They would view all non-Jews in this way, and they despised uncircumcised nations. Uncircumcised meant that they had no connection with God because that was the physical symbol of their covenant with God. All their males were circumcised on the eighth day. And that was a physical symbol of their covenant with God. So God had made a covenant with the nation of Israel, and all the other nations were considered foolish. They didn't know the truth about God, but all of a sudden, God is relating to these foolish people. And they're going to make the Jews angry because God is ministering to and saving people out of other nations. And Isaiah went on to say, and he was very bold about this, he said, I have been found by those who did not seek me. And this is what would really gall a Jew. Because the Jews sought God. The Jews were taught about God. The Jews practiced Passover. The Jews uh, keep their festivals. The Jews, you know, they, they chase after God. It's like Paul said at the beginning of this chapter. They have a zeal for God. But then Isaiah predicted this. God said, I've been found by those who did not seek me. How Difficult would that be for a Jew who was working hard to reach God and they see people who didn't even put forth the effort find him. I've been found by those who did not seek me, God says. And he said, I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. That is a tough one. But here's what he says about Israel in verse 21. But of Israel, Moses says, and this is God's spirit, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Wow. How hard is that? To accept. You see, in God's grace and wisdom, He knew that when He brought Christ to Israel and the gospel of righteousness through faith to Israel, He knew they would not accept it. And that gave Him the righteous opportunity 
to set them aside temporarily and go to all the Gentile nations with his gospel so he could uh, harvest, if you will, those that are his from all the other nations. And he said, I've been found by those who didn't, didn't seek me. The, the Gentiles didn't have the law. The Gentiles didn't have instruction on how to seek him. The Gentiles were very ignorant about God. But God revealed himself to them. He said, I've shown myself to those who didn't ask for me. How hard is that for a nation that says, what more do we have to do, God? And he said of them, all day long I've held up my hands to you, but you have been a disobedient and contrary people. And, and that's the challenge. The challenge is, what will we do with Jesus? I can't help but remember how Jesus said in the Gospels uh, that the, the harlots or the prostitutes, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, he said they will enter God's kingdom before you. And he was speaking to uh, religious Jews, some of them highly educated. He said, the prostitutes and the publicans, tax collectors. And by the way, the tax collectors were some of the most despised people in Jewish culture because they were considered uh, traitors, if you will, because they worked for Rome. And, they, uh, and Rome was the occupying uh, power in Israel. And so they were despised. And did you know that one of Jesus' disciples was a former tax collector? It was Matthew. And uh, Jesus saved him and made him one of his apostles. And that was a challenge for the rest of the apostles because they had to forgive and love and show respect to someone that they previously despised. That's what God does in our lives. He changes us and, and makes us like him. And he went out to the world because Israel uh, did not receive him. He knew they wouldn't. And so he had the, the righteous uh, opportunity, the right to go out to the rest of the world with his gospel. And he is, this is the, these are the times of the Gentiles. And they are being brought in to God's kingdom. And there's coming a point when that day will uh, stop. And all the Gentiles that God has appointed for salvation will be brought in. And then uh, Jesus, I believe, will come and uh, collect his church. And then God will turn back to Israel and begin working through them on this earth again. But up to this point, God says, all day long I held out my hands to you. I held out my hands to you all day long but you've been a disobedient and contrary people. Let's pray for a moment, shall we? Father, you know who's listening to this podcast right now. You know their heart condition. 
And if, uh, if your spirit has grabbed hold of them and pointed out how they have been a disobedient and stubborn person, unwilling to receive the love of the truth, unwilling to receive Jesus as their Savior and rely completely on what he did for them so they can be saved. I pray that you would save them, that they would believe in their heart that uh, you have raised Jesus from the dead, that they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and that they might be saved. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for coming to the Gentiles. And we do pray for Israel, Lord, that they might be saved as well. Amen. God bless you all. I look forward to the next time we're together. I just want to speak the name of Jesus Over every heart and every mind Cause I know there is peace within His presence I speak Jesus